uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this year I taught a logic class at the school. It was for the high school. Uh, most of the kids uh, there, ninth through 12th grade, were in that. And one of the first things that we covered was that for something to be logical, then it must be true. I won't get into the laws of logic. I think there are three of those. But basically, if something can be true, then there are also things that can be false. Because of this, we need a source to help us distinguish between the truth and non-truth. As a believer, I have a source of truth called the Bible. Boiled down to the most basic definition, truth is anything that is in alignment with God's word, and everything else is false. And so working at a Christian school, it can be a pretty easy assumption. It's, it's a mistake um, to assume that kids who go to a Christian school most likely are what? Christians. Or at least we assume that they have an understanding of God's word uh, or of its history or of at least basic doctrines. We do things every morning at the school. We have uh, pledges. We say them to the American flag, to the Christian flag, to the Bible. Um, they memorize verses. They read their Bible they pray when we ask them to, and most of them can give the BBS answers for stuff, right? It's usually Jesus. No, that's really not it, guys. It's not Jesus this time. But as the year rolled on, we worked our way through uh, this class, through this logic class. It was pretty much a discussion class. I didn't do any tests in it, um, but we did go back and cover things that we had covered previously to make sure they were, they were retaining it. But as we did that, it became apparent to me that for many of them, these were just surface things, this reading of the Bible praying, you know, these answers that they were giving. Uh, their beliefs that they hold are like the seed that's scattered on rocky soil. Many of the things we are teaching and having them do, they mean very little to them because they don't have a full understanding of what is required of someone who calls himself a believer or a Christian. Because of what I was seeing, we decided to tweak the approach of the school, and it's always been operated under the assumption that the kids had some sort of background in church. And by that, I mean at least regular attendance in church. When I was a kid, that was, you're there three times a week or you're going to hell type of thing. Um, but for most of these kids, you know, we've kind of loosened that definition. Which one of these kids are in, in service at least once a week to be getting some of this? And one of the things we realized as I was talking with Bob was really only about one-third to one-half of the kids um, would meet that general rule of thumb of regular attendance once a week. And so we began to ask the question, what good is it to require these so-called Christian kids or Christian practices of a bunch of kids who have no understanding or conviction of why they're doing these things. What good is it to have them read the Bible every day if there's no conviction there? We're just kind of putting them under rules and laws and, and legalism there, and they get this understanding that I'm a believer, I'm a Christian because I went to a Christian school, we did all these things, I said my pledges to the Christian flag every day, I don't really know why, but I did. Um, so we went back to the basics on everything. We now approach all of them as if they are not believers, and we focus on sharing God's love, what he's done for them, and trying to live it in front of them. And so back to my logic class. This is one of the things about me. My wife will tell you this. I tend to will chase rabbit trails. I think of something here, and I can tell you the six things of how I got here, but I only tell you about this one. So I don't always make that connection. So back to the logic class. And I was in my car one day running, 
an errand for the school, and I was listening to the radio, and some guy I had never heard of, um, I can't think of his name right now, he has a book out called, um, what's the name of the book? Unsaved, Unsaved Christian, Cultural Christianity. Um, he was talking about this, and everything he was talking about was lining up with exactly what we were seeing in the school, only he was talking about the church instead. And my, my interest was piqued, of course, because of everything that was tying in with the school. And I had a copy of this book on the way by the end of the day. And after reading the first few chapters, I decided we're going to do this in our logic class because this is something these kids need to understand. Um, so I had copies for all the whole class, like I think 15 copies that I'd ordered. So I want to take you through just a few of probably, at least in my opinion, the most important areas that we struggle with at the school. I think they're areas that we also struggle with in the church. And so you'll also start hearing... Uh, Probably at least a few times, one of my most used phrases from the second half of the school year. I'll see if you guys can pick that out. Okay. So, number one is we need to be anchored in the truth of how God sees us. We have a nasty habit of hearing what people say about us and incorporating that into the so-called truth of what we believe about ourselves. I know the kids struggle with this um, also with social media and the things that, that are out there for them to see of how they should look, how they should act. And they blend that into those comparisons, into their truth of who they are or what the world expects them to be. And it starts sounding a lot like the idea of moral relativism, where what's good for you may not be good for me, but hey, that's okay, you do you, I'll do me. And some, one of the ways we describe this to the kids is we started using an idea or a phrase called relativistic truth, where truth changes based on whose truth it is, um, it's something we accept as truth, but it is constantly changing based on how we feel or what others say about us. But if you remember at the beginning of the, cla- or of the class, see, if you remember at the beginning we defined truth as being consistent with God and his word, we know what about God? God does not change. Therefore, truth is unchanging. So relativistic truth would be a falsity, a fallacy. So if you're a believer... The truth you believe about yourself should be unchanging. You must know exactly how God sees you, and you absolutely must be careful about the people that you allow to speak truth into your life. Many people will speak words into your life, but only a few of them will speak God's truth into it. Proverbs 12, 17 through 19 tells us, One who declares truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips will endure forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. So our first point is that we must know the truth of how God sees us. The second one is to know your identity. As we were going through the book and logic class, I had to run some more errands for the school. I did this a lot, and I always listened to the radio. And there was another gentleman on there that I hadn't heard of before, um, but I trust the people that were... Uh, having him on their show, but one of the things that he talked about was the struggle that he had his entire life with his core identity. He came from a mixed racial background. He was Chinese-American, as he described it, but he didn't know growing up if he was Chinese-American, American-Chinese. Was he Chinese? Was he American? So he's very confused about that, and society didn't really help him to find that. He also talked about how he was caught up in sin for several years and how his identity was tied up in that sin. That was part of who he identified himself as. And he struggled for years, even after he came to faith in Christ, about 
his core identity of who he was. And the really weird thing was this was something I was getting ready to talk to the kids about was their identity in Christ. And so, again, my interest was piqued, um, really paid attention to what he says, said, sat out in my car for a while until he was done talking. Um, through many growing pains, I have learned to listen when God gives me examples and talking points because I can be very short and to the point, and sometimes I need some fluff. So God gives me a lot of that if I can remember it. So if you were someplace new and you were spending a little bit of time there, you know, you're not just running in the door now, but you've got to be there for a while. Odds are somebody will eventually find you. At least it happens to me. They have radar. I want to be in there, do what I need to do, get out. People see that. Some people do. They're very outgoing. It's like, zoom in. Come find him. And they want to know, a lot of times, who are you? Those, that wording sometimes is security. They really want to know who you are, why you're there. But most of the time, people just want to know uh, who you are, what do you do? And so my can't answer to that question a lot of times is, I'm Chris, I'm, I'm a principal at a small Christian school. So how many of you would answer something similar if somebody asked who you were? Right? Pretty much everybody. On the surface, it seems like a pretty decent answer, but I've actually answered something completely different. I didn't answer who I was, I answered what I am. Okay. So you see, if you're a believer, your who is that you are a child of God. You are not the job that you do. You're a child of God, created in his image. This gives you intrinsic value. For me, my what is that I'm a principal. So if you are a believer, your what should be an extension of who your who is or what your who is. If I spend the next 20 years as a principal and I retire and I move on from that, if I've identified myself as a principal for that time, I have nothing. I'm going to have an identity crisis in my 60s. And I don't want an identity crisis in my 60s. Okay? I spent enough time in my life trying to figure out exactly who I was. And I'm very glad now that I, that I recognize that. So if I correctly identify myself as a child of God, then my what doesn't matter as long as I'm serving him. Right? I can do anything as long as I know that I'm a child of God. What I'm doing will make sense. It'll be fun sometimes. This is stressful. This is not fun for me. Okay? <laughs> So we want to make sure that we correctly identify who we are. If you are a believer, you are a child of God. Okay? Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Stephen Paul says there, if you are this. So my third one, my last point here, um, Steve told me, he said you need to make at least past 10 minutes. Lindsay took almost 15. We're in overtime now, okay? So Steve has my, my text, so I'm sure I'll hear from him later. Um, number three is that if you are a believer, your number one goal in life is to make disciples. One of the last things Jesus told us, and I'm spoiling probably one of Steve's messages here in a few weeks, Matthew 27, I believe, the last chapter, 27 or 28. last thing in the, in the book of Matthew is the Great Commission. Jesus tells us, go out and make disciples of all nations. That is our number one goal as a believer, is to make disciples. We will be distracted. Satan's going to come at us. He's going to try to get us, our attention pulled off onto things. One of the biggest distractions often is our job. Right? He, he wants us to get caught up in that. Um, he'll, he'll distract you with other things. Right now we have baseball going on for our boys. 
they were nice enough to schedule games on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday for us. We are gone all the time. Sometimes we have two games a night. Sometimes I think we have three because Liam has a, a game tomorrow night. He's not supposed to play on Monday night, but we were blessed with rain all last week, so we have makeup games. So Satan's going to come at us and distract us with all sorts of things, and we have to be able, if we're a believer, we have to focus back on what our ultimate goal is as a believer, which is to make disciples. We have to focus on the threat, the real threat, and not get distracted by all the what-ifs that Satan's going to throw at us. And if, if we can focus back on what that real threat is, what I see as the real threat is not reaching the hearts of the next generation. I mean, we're, we're, the church is one generation away from irrelevance. And we've got a lot of poor examples in society of what a Christian is. And I agree with what Steve said a couple weeks ago with that word has come to mean something that we don't historically understand it to mean. And I really like this idea. I just want to tell Steve I was way ahead of that. I, I mentioned this a couple of years ago that I, I don't like really the word Christian anymore. I, I want to be called a believer or a follower. And so i got to reach the hearts of these kids and help them really understand what a believer is, not what they're seeing out in the world of these people. I was online this morning and spent some time just kind of flipping through a thread. It was an atheism thread. And they were referencing... Um, comment section on some stuff going on down in Texas with some laws that were passed down there and some legal challenges being made by um, the Satanist Temple um, and by the Freedom From Religion Foundation um, just challenging some of the things that Texas is trying to do and this, these comments were you know, Christians telling how these people should die and how they need to go to hell and all this stuff. And, I mean, it, like, it broke my heart. I'm like, this is our example. This is exactly what we're talking to the kids about. And so the verse that, that we went over actually by chance came to my attention this week is Psalm 78, 1 through 7. And I'll be honest with you, I was reading through this this morning, and the song that popped in my head to go with this was actually the theme for the Beverly Hillbillies. Come listen to my story about a man named Jeb. The psalmist says, my people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable, right? Come, come hear the story I'm going to tell you about. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And so the big three things that we've really worked on at school, again, this year was knowing the truth of how God sees you, understanding your identity in him, and then being focused on what that goal is. I, had, I was accused of being a raging liberal once at school because of just some things I, I talked to the kids about. They asked, well, what would you do if somebody burned a flag in front of you? I said, what would you do if somebody burned a Bible in front of you? Which one is more important to you? And I said, I might... I might step back for a second. I hope I would step back and see that person as God sees them, at least before I react emotionally, that God sees them as, as his child, his creation created in his image, which gives them, again, an intrinsic value. 
And I broke one kid. I mean, he couldn't hardly talk to his mom about what I had said. And I broke him again a few weeks later because we kind of got back on that topic again. But, you know, it, we've, we've got to know. We've got to understand what's most important in our lives. Um, you know, it's for me, I'm a believer. So my, my goal in life is to go around making disciples and not get distracted by that. And so in closing, I believe it's absolutely critical that we get these things right because we can't help the next generation understand them if we ourselves don't have a firm grip on them. So I encourage you to be firm in the truth. We will all struggle with keeping our footing solid, but not close off the ways that you know God speaks with you. I will ebb and flow in my time in the Word, but God has spoken to me numerous times. I mean, twice that I've shared with you guys, just listening to people on the radio. Uh, He's spoken to me many times in my life uh, where I was wondering, um, just through songs that I heard. Um, He speaks through podcasts a lot to me. Um, He will continue to speak to you as you struggle with things, as long as you keep those channels open for him to speak with you. And if you are a believer, don't forget who you are. You are a child of the living God.